Hey everyone, I'm Kevin Wallace from Redemption to the Nation's Church, and I'm grateful that we are going to have this opportunity to bring this message of hope, healing, and restoration to you and your family today. I want you to stay with me till the end. I'm going to come back and pray. Be blessed by the word of the Lord. First Chronicles. I'm going to continue what I thought I didn't even really get to start here last week. Something happened last I don't even know what happened last week. Glorious was what happened last week. Something's happening in this campus. And I hope you've turned your thermometer up to accommodate the fire that's burning because the Spirit of the Lord's moving. Amen. I want to keep this thought that I feel like God would not let me escape or get away from. I choose revival. Look at your neighbor, tell them I choose revival. If they look at you hateful, I give you permission to gather your stuff and move to the other side of the room and find somebody who smiles when you look at them and tell them I choose revival. Tell them one more time, give them another chance, but tell them I choose revival. I choose revival. Verse one of 1 Chronicles 13. Then David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. And David said to all the assembly of Israel, it seems good to, uh, to you. If it seems good to you and if it is of the Lord our God, let us send out to our brethren everywhere who are left in the land of Israel and with them to the priests and Levites who are in their cities and their common lands that they may gather together to us. and Let us bring the ark of our God back to us. For we have not inquired at it since the days of Saul, say the days of Saul. Then all the assembly said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So David gathered all Israel together from Shehor in Egypt to as far as the entrance of Hamath to bring back the ark of God from Kirjath-Jerim. And David and all Israel went up to Belah and to Kirjath-Jerim which belonged to Judah, and to, uh, and, and to bring up from there the ark of God, the Lord, who dwells between the cherubim, where his name is proclaimed. So they carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ahio drove the cart. And David and all Israel played before God with all their might, with singing and harps and stringed instruments and tambourines on cymbals and with trumpets. And when they came to Shaddon's threshing floor, and if you read this story given to us, the same exact story is relayed to us in the second book of Samuel, the sixth chapter. And in that particular location, this same exact location is called Nacon's threshing floor. How many have ever heard of Nacon's threshing floor? It's the same exact place. And when they came to Gidon's threshing floor, or Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and he struck him because he put his hand toward the ark, and he died there before God. David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. Therefore, the place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of God that day, saying, how can I bring the ark of God to me? So David would not move the ark with him into the city of David, but he took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in the house for three months. Lord have mercy. And the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. I don't know about you, but I want God to bless all that I have. In fact, turn around before we pray and tell somebody, tell them, neighbor, if we'll get our priorities in order. Come on, tell them. Say, if we get our priorities in order, God's going to bless all that we have. I wish somebody would find a praise like you're thankful God can bless all you have. Hallelujah. Pray for me, I'll pray for you. Father, help us in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I suppose that most people in this place understand the concept, the idea, and have in some way experienced teaching or preaching or revelation giving regarding the Ark of the Covenant. But perhaps there are those brothers and sisters in this room who are not acquainted with the Ark of the Covenant, so I thought it might be 
in order for me to remind us of what exactly we are talking about here in 1 Chronicles chapter 13. In Exodus, in order to understand the Ark of the Covenant, you have to flip back to the book of Exodus where God brought Israel out of Egypt. And on their way to the promised land, they made a pit stop in a wilderness. And in that wilderness, God took a man named Moses up on the mountain and he gave him a blueprint for what we would call the tabernacle. The tabernacle was God's intention of creation. When they would create it, it would become the place when they would build this tabernacle, it would become the place where God would meet with his people. And I don't have the time to explore the depth and the totality of the revelation that is within the tabernacle given to Moses. But I will tell you this, that in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And in the New Testament, the Old Testament is revealed. Which means when you begin to see pictures and types and shadows in the Old Testament, they themselves are not the fullness of that thing, but those things begin to represent and give revelation to what is to come and be fulfilled in the New Covenant. When you look in the Old Covenant and you see types and shadows and pictures of things like the furniture that was in the tabernacle, you recognize that it wasn't about the table of showbread. It was about the table of showbread, meaning the meaning of it sort of pointing us toward the Word of God. The altar in the Old Covenant was not just an altar of incense. It was a revelation of worship that would be ours as the people of God. When you talk about the priest of the Old Covenant, we look toward the New Testament and see that it it wasn't really just priests that God was looking for. He was looking for an entire group of people who would become the priesthood. So in the Old Testament, we see shadows and types and symbols. In the New Testament, we see the fullness of what those types and shadows and symbols revealed. And when it comes to this issue of the Ark of the Covenant, we have a lot of people who are infatuated with this concept and this idea of the Ark of the Covenant, but the Ark of the Covenant was really a type and shadow and picture of a man who would later come. Because we see that this Ark of the Covenant that was given to Moses, the blueprint of the Ark of the Covenant was shidem wood. He said, I want you to take a piece of shidem wood and I want you to make it a cubit and a half wide and two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half high. And I want you to take this wood and I want you to cover it in gold. And then, and then I want you to put on top of this wood box that is covered in gold on the top. I want you to put this seat and I want you to make this seat out of gold and I want you to put two angels facing one another on this seat and this seat is going to be called the mercy seat and I want you to put this mercy seat made out of gold on top of this ark because mercy is always going to be on top I'm thankful that when God looked down from heaven at the mercy seat and he saw blood, that he didn't see judgment, he didn't see hate, he didn't see violence, he didn't see death. The only death that God was ever looking for was the death of the lamb. And when he saw the blood of the lamb on top of the ark of the covenant resting on the mercy seat, when he saw that blood, mercy took over and judgment had to take a, a flight because God prefers mercy over judgment. God doesn't want, well, I'm thankful today for mercy. I don't know if you understand the mercy seat of God, but mercy is what kept you and I from getting what we deserved. Mercy is how you're not dead and frying in hell this morning because of the sin that we committed. Mercy is how we still have a future even though we have a nasty past. Mercy is still how we have a plan for tomorrow in spite of the shame of our yesterday. I don't know about you, but I'm glad mercy is on top. I'm glad Sin is not on top. Judgment is not on top. I'm glad that the wrath of God is not what's on top of the mercy seat. I'm thankful that it's not covered in hate. It's covered in blood. It's covered in the blood of the lamb. And Lord, I, I wish I had time to preach because if you really want to begin to see the typology and the symbol of Christ coming, you look at this mercy seat and see that it is a picture of Jesus because the 
the wood represents his flesh the gold represents his divinity it was a man who came through the virgin womb of a girl named Mary who was literally born in the flesh but he was still God while he walked around for 33 years on this planet he was still God in the flesh there's wood underneath but there's glory on top I'm thankful that Jesus is a picture Jesus was the fullness of the picture being painted in the Old Testament he was the ark of God everywhere this ark of God went the favor of God rested on Israel so long as they kept their priority in order they won in time of battle so long as they had the presence of God with them then they even overcame extreme odds to win the battle and this ark of the covenant which represented the person of Jesus it represented the presence of God every time they had it and they had their priority right and they were living for God every time they had it they were experiencing the favor of God but then there came a king whose name was Saul Saul became king over Israel and listen to me very carefully I don't have time to explore the depth of this but Saul was a king after the choosing of the people not necessarily the king that God chose for Israel which means to me sometimes that God will have to deal with the people who made a choice other than his original and his best you got to understand that just because you see God promoting some people doesn't mean that in fact sometimes God's not doing the promoting people are doing the promoting and if God doesn't promote me I'd rather sit in the chair I've been sitting in because if you let people I'm going to preach right here if you let people promote you before God promotes you people will elevate you because of their lack of reverence for God and you will think it was God blessing you when in reality you are a product of their own oh Lord have mercy you're a product of their own jacked up preferences and sometimes we have people who are operating in places God didn't call them to be and so was the case with Saul he was a king after the choosing of people. And everything was fine. He, re he reigned for 40 years, but somewhere around the 23rd year of his reign, pardon me, the 27th year of his reign, he put the ark in the house of his son, Abinadab. For 13 years, the ark, this ark of the covenant, which represented the presence of God, for 13 years they put it in the house of Abinadab. It had lost its national influence and its national reverence it, it was it was not to them anymore what it had been it was just another religious relic and they parked it in the house of Abinadab who was the son of Saul and Abinadab had two sons Uzzah and Ahio now I'm not sure I can't prove this from the text but we have reason to believe that after 13 years of living in the same house with the Ark of the Covenant, something became familiar and common to them. Something began to feel familiar and common about the Ark of the Covenant. I, I just sort of imagined that when they came through the living room and they saw the Ark of the Covenant, it was the first year it was special. Oh, we have the Ark. The second, third year, maybe it was special. Somewhere it began to wear off and it just become another thing in the house. The Bible says in the 40th year of Saul's reign, he was slain in battle. And when he was slain in battle, there was another king down the road who was king over a smaller kingdom waiting on his opportunity to do what God had given him the grace to do. And that man's name was David. And when Saul was slain in battle, People began to say, this is David's moment. God began to open the door and David began his administration over Israel. And when he began to lead Israel, he began to take inventory of what he had. And the most important thing he had was not what he had, it was what he was missing. We've got people and we've got soldiers and we've got some money in the bank and we've got some resources, but there's something missing in Israel and that is, where is the ark of God? I want to tell you this morning, I don't know what you have in your life. I don't know what possessions you have, what kind of money you have in the bank. I don't know what kind of stuff you've got in your account. I don't know what kind of car you drive, what kind of house you drive, what kind of job you have, what kind of influence you have. I want to tell you this, if you don't have the presence of the Lord, you're missing something. 
And let me make an announcement to churches. I don't care how cool the light show is, how many smoke machines you have. I don't care how well the soundtrack is and the split track is and the vocalists are. If at the end of the day all you have is excellence but don't have the oil, you are still missing something. And David said, we're missing the presence. Let's go get it. I'm telling you what kind of moment we're living in right now in America. We're living in a moment of reality. There's a reality check happening. People are coming to the end of themselves and they are saying we're missing something and we're not living another day without it. We're going to go till we find it and when we find it, we're going we're to keep it. We're not ever going to lose it again. I don't know about anybody else in this room. I'm not sure where you are in life and how happy you are with what you have. I just want to drop by to tell somebody if you don't have his presence, you're missing something something and this is the season the time and the Sunday to declare to your own life I am going after the presence of the Lord I'm going to get the ark I'm going to get the person I'm going to get the man Jesus Christ I'm not living another day without him I'm not raising my babies without him I'm not trying to live this this life without him I'm not trying to have a marriage without him I want him I don't just want him on Sunday between 10 and 12 I want him Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday I'm going after him. I'm tired of living with it. I'm tired of not living with it. I'm tired of not having it. I want the presence of God. If you're sitting in this place today and you don't have it, I hope you come to an accurate inventory of where you are in your spiritual journey and stop living like you've got it and say, Lord, honestly, before you, I know what it's like to have it and I don't have it. I'm coming to get the presence. He goes down to the house of Abinadab. Can you imagine this scene? King David with 30,000 men goes down to the house of Abinadab. Abinadab comes to the door. Can I help you? Uh, We're here for the ark. 30,000 men in his front yard. They get to his house and say, we'd like the ark. And this is where I need to preach right here because hunger is wonderful, but protocol is important. They showed up because they wanted the presence. The problem is they didn't follow the king's protocol. I'm not talking about King David. I'm talking about King Jesus. See, you understand that when they were called to carry the Ark of the Covenant, according to the book of Exodus, that Ark of the Covenant had four golden rings, one on each corner, and they would thread a gold pipe through those two rings on each side, and priests would bend over and they would pick up that ark holding that golden rod and consecrated men would carry the weight of that gold and that wood and they would sit it wherever God told them to go and instead of following that prescription and instead of using consecrated men who would hold the ark now they want to do it quickly now they want to do it in a hurry now they don't want to follow protocol so they hook it up to a cart who in the world ever heard of that I'll tell you who the Philistines had decided we don't want to carry it with men we'd rather put it on a cart and carry it with a donkey and an oxen so they tried to carry the presence of God the same way the world did oh it doesn't take as long oh it's not as difficult oh it's a whole lot less messy can we not just hurry and get it to Jerusalem so they throw it on the back of a cart and everything is fine until we get to Nacon's threshing floor and we hit a bump. Protocol or not, protocol is not for the paved places. Protocol is for the bump in the road. When they hit the bump at Nacon's threshing floor, don't miss this. Uzzah, who was a son of Abinadab and a grandson of Saul, who had lived with that ark every day of his life for 13 years. Uzzah saw the ark begin to bounce off the cart. And he put his hand on it and he died. Now you have some deep theological explanation that makes you feel warm and toasty when you read that. I read it a hundred times this week and I don't. That scripture bothers me. 
a man literally put his hand on the ark to keep it from falling off and he died when he touched it. And the Lord spoke to me this week as I read this text and he said to me, Kevin, true revival is as much about what I kill as it is what I bring to life. Bless me, Lord, help me. True revival will slay some things. Well, I don't know if I believe in that. Well, Uzzah's name means strength. And literally what we see a picture of here is man-made human strength trying to protect God. I'm going to blow your mind, and you may not agree with this, and, 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 and it's certainly up for your, your thought and discussion, and y'all do all that you want to on social media, and I'll ignore you because I don't care. But here's what I want to tell you. I actually think the ark was supposed to bounce off the cart. Why? Because I think God wanted them to see they were doing it wrong. And Uzzah didn't let it fall. Uzzah tried to protect a fraudulent way of carrying the ark. Come on, let's put it on a cart. Let's hurry and get it to Jerusalem. We hit a bump. It's falling. It's falling. Let me keep it from falling. And he touches it. And when he touches it, he dies. Why does he die? Because God said, I'm tired of you trying to prep up. What's not supposed to work. I'm going to tell you what's happening in this season right now. We are watching the death of a church done in the strength of man. We are watching God slay. We are watching God slay ministries that have done it in the strength of humanity. And they've not done it in the strength of God. God wants it to fail. It's not supposed to work. Because it was never supposed to be held up by the strength of humanity. It is not how much you know. And it's not your favorite way of doing it. And it's not our strategic stuff that makes the presence of God move. It is consecrated men and women who have become a priesthood unto God who pick it up and say my God this is the heaviest thing I've ever carried in my life but it's going to be worth it to see the glory of the Lord I want to make an announcement Uzzah has to die If we don't slay the flesh, it's not gonna happen like it's supposed to. So Uzzah dies. Uzzah dies and David gets bent out of shape. Read the text. Says David was displeased. That's a King James way of saying David got pretty ticked. And you know what God did about a ticked off king? Absolutely nothing. Do you know why? Because God is as stubborn as he is for righteousness and holiness. I love you, king, whoever you are, but he will not bend the rules just so that you like him. He doesn't care if you like him. He is a God who is straight. He is righteous. He is holy. He does not close his eyes or wink at sin. He doesn't just ignore our failures, and he doesn't just ignore the faulty way in which we're trying to do this. He is saying, I am patient, but I am also just. I am holy, I am righteous, and I'm not going to bend my rules that I made just so that you can have what you want. You're going to do it my way or you're not going to have it. David was upset. So he takes this ark and he says, I don't want this to come to Jerusalem. And he parks it at the house of a man named Obadiah the Gittite. I don't have time to preach this like I want to preach this, but I want to tell you something about Obadiah the Gittite. He's not even a Jew. The most sacred relic in the history of the Jewish people is now being parked at the house of a Gentile. How do you know that Obadiah was not a Jew? Because the Bible gives him the suffix in his name. He was Obadiah the Gittite. Everyone say the Gittite. 
This is the same, this is the same country of Gath that a man named Goliath came from. Gath is a city in the Philistine camp. So, oh God, I'm getting ready to preach here. And in the Philistine camp, there was a man named Obedidim. If you want to know how he got into Jerusalem, you got to go back to the end of Saul's reign when he was chasing King David trying to kill him. And David knew if I stay in Jerusalem, Saul will kill me. So David faked a nervous breakdown. This is all in your Bible, Jerry Springer 101. David faked a nervous breakdown and went to the Philistine camp and told the king of the Philistines, I'm mad and I'm not going back to Israel. He stayed in the Philistine camp for a season and when Saul died, David went back to Jerusalem and 600 Philistines 600 Philistine men said, we know we're from the land of the Philistines, but we're going to follow that king wherever he's going. And when David went back to Jerusalem, 600 Philistine men left Philistia, Philistia and they went back to Jerusalem with David. And one of those 600 men was this man Obedidim from the camp of the Gittites. He's not even supposed to be in Israel. He's not even supposed to be in Jerusalem. The only reason he's there is because he fell in love with the king. Lord, I better quit. Some of you are in a mood to leave and I'm in a mood to just get started right now. I want to tell you why we're here today. We're not here because we were born this way. We were not here because we deserve to be here. We're not in the kingdom because we earned our way in. We were living in the Philistine camp and a king came down from Jerusalem and when we met the king, we decided I'm not staying in this Philistine camp another day. I'm going to follow the king. Touch your neighbor, tell him I'm here because I followed the king. Yeah, I'm here because I followed the king. I didn't get here on my own. I didn't make a way for myself. I fell in love with the king and I said, I'm gonna go where he goes. His God will be my God and his people will be my people. And now this Gittite from the Philistine camp is living in Jerusalem. And David is ticked and he's upset and he has to find a place to park the ark. Lord have mercy. And while they're arguing about what went wrong and why people, were di- why people died, David said, let's park the ark at Obadiah's house. I actually read behind a commentator this week whom I agree with. I believe one of the reasons that God so I believe one of the reasons David decided to put the ark at Obadiah's house is because he wasn't a Jew. And if he died, at least he wouldn't have killed a Jew. This is a true story. They actually, some people actually believe that because he was a Gentile, there was less risk. There was less risk for him parking the ark at a Gentile's house rather than a Jew. No, none of the Jewish people wanted to see another Jew like Uzzah die. So if somebody's going to die, let it be a Gentile. Problem is you don't understand the mind of God. Mercy triumphs over judgment. They were waiting on they were waiting on Obadiah to die, and instead of dying, Obadiah got blessed. Obadiah got blessed. You've got to understand there are some people expecting you to die, and they're expecting you to give up, and they're expecting judgment to duck you out, and they're expecting your sins to catch up with you. But you just keep on shouting, baby, because people who think you're going to die and quit and give up and not be everything God told you to be, they don't understand the mercy of God. They don't understand to touch somebody and tell them, I'm only here by mercy. I'm only here by mercy. I know you got here because of who you know you got here because of what you got you got here because of how long you've been in church I'm only here because of the mercy and the grace of God I'm only here because sin so mercy triumphs over judgment and where sin does abound grace does much more abound somebody give God three claps and a shout that you didn't get what you deserve Obedidim is a Gentile The most sacred relic in Israel's history is not sitting in the temple yet. It's sitting in the house of a Gentile. I don't even deserve this. But somehow the presence of God showed up at my house. And Obedidim doesn't reject the ark. And he could have. 
Because where is he from? The Philistines. And what happened in the camp of Philistines when the ark got in the camp of the Philistines? Y'all know what happened. Judgment hit the whole camp. If I'm Obadiah and the ark is now in my front yard and they're talking about bringing it into my house, I'm probably biting my fingernails saying, oh God, the last time I saw that thing, it destroyed Uncle Bill. It destroyed Sister Sally. That they, they all got all kind of things breaking out over their body and judgment hit the camp of the Philistines. I don't know if I want that, but that's not what he does. He doesn't do that. He doesn't reject the ark. Why does he not reject the ark? Because he understands something about the goodness of God. He understands something about the mercy of the Lord. He understands if you're hungry for the presence and you host it well, the ark was never intended to bring judgment to your house. The ark was intended to bring blessing. Look at somebody tell them, neighbor, my family is about to be blessed. Oh, I want to preach on the presence of God for a moment because there are some people who've got this thing all screwed up in the kingdom of God. Some people will tell you revival will kill a church and revival will kill families and revival will kill marriages and revival will kill children I'll tell you what to kill your marriage and your children and a church it's not revival revival will never run people off revival will bring people in it's religion that will kill you it's that man-made nonsense that will kill you it's that stuff that we try to cram down people's throat and we take the power of God out of our midst that'll kill you I don't want no religion to hell with religion I'm looking for an outpouring of the Holy Ghost where lives are changed sons and daughters are restored sick bodies are healed Somebody give him three claps and a shot. He, he opens his door. The Gentile. While Israel is arguing about how to carry the ark, a Gentile say, y'all argue over there. Park the ark at my house. Tell somebody, tell them, park the ark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can park the ark at the Wallace house. I know there are some people that don't think the Wallace house deserves it, but I came to tell God on this. I'm getting ready to go to my car in a minute. But before I go to my car, I came to tell this house, he can park the ark at the Wallace house. If you don't want the ark, that's all right with me. I want the ark. And I'm going to tell you, this church wants the ark. And if you're a part of this church and you don't want to have the ark, you're going to be frustrated and have to find another place to worship. Because that the at the end of the day it's not me and you that make the difference it's the power of the Holy Ghost that makes the difference slap somebody tell them I'll take the ark I'll take the glory I'll take the oil I'll take the power of the Holy Ghost I'll take signs and wonders following them that believe I'll take the name that isn't above every other name I'll take the blood that still produces remission for sin I'll take the word I'll take the ark I'll take I'll take I'll take I'll take Slap three people in your zip code, tell them we'll take the ark. God, oh, I better quit, but I feel like preaching here. God, if you're looking for a place where you can have your way, you can have this house, you can have my living room, you can have my church, it ain't even mine anyway. Slap. He said, bring, bring it on in, bring it on in. And they brought the ark in there. And for 90 days, 90 days, the ark of the covenant was left in the living room of Obadiah. Lord have mercy. Extra biblical literature. Now, if you want to know what that is, it is not in the Bible, but it accompanies the biblical text and there is a lot of extra biblical literature. Some of it's good, some of it's crazy. But I read some extra biblical literature that said Obadiah the Gittite had seven daughters-in-law. And for these 90 days the ark was parked there, they had a child every four weeks. Now, this is what Jewish sages teach that the, some of y'all are like, I'm getting out of this church right now. Get your stuff, Mabel. We ain't been to have this kind of blessing in our house. Y'all know I'm telling the truth. Ooh. 
but a spirit of blessing got so strong on Obadiah's house that even the childbearing season got shortened and the increase of fruit came on the whole house so that his daughters-in-law were producing children faster and more rapidly than any other family in Israel and people were freaking out at the blessing of the Lord and this is what the Lord said to me this week in prayer he said to me I was just looking for a house that I could show my goodness through now wait a minute why Ooh. Hopkins, it's coming on your house, sir. It's coming on your house, sir. You threw your hands up and Holy Ghost said, he said, I saw those hands and I see those hearts and it's coming on the whole shot of Messiah. It's coming on your house. Listen to me real carefully. He said, listen, he said, I was just looking for a place to show my goodness to. And I said, what? He said, no, think about this. He said, all of Israel was afraid of my presence. Even the king was afraid. Even the king was upset with God. And the whole nation is now saying, I don't know if we want the presence. The last time we had that, somebody died. And God is saying, no, y'all got the wrong opinion of me. I didn't come to bring judgment. I had to take care of Uzzah because Uzzah wouldn't take care of himself. But if you do this the right way, the presence doesn't have to bring judgment. I'm looking for a house. God, I'm going to preach right here. I'm looking for a house. Can I find one Obadiah who I know doesn't feel like he deserves the ark? But if I can find one Gentile who believes that I'm still good, I'm getting ready to show a whole nation that I'm not out to bring judgment I'm out to show people that I'm good to every generation I'm good in the morning I'm good in the evening I'm good when the sun goes down I'm good in your 20s your 30s, your 40s, your 50s your 60s, your 70s touch somebody tell them he's still good I know as a dad but God is still good. I know some churches are having to close down, but don't start thinking God ain't good. I'm looking for a house that I can show my goodness through. Somebody shot, he's good. God sent me to tell somebody, your house is about to be the house that he reveals his goodness through. He's about to bless your house. He's about to give your house favor. Touch six people, tell them favor, 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 favor. Favor's coming on your marriage. Favor's coming on your children. Favor's coming on your ministry. Favor's coming on your business. Favor's coming on your job. God's about to get a good reputation because of about because of what he's about to do through you. He is just looking for a house that he can straighten out his reputation in. Do you know how many, sit, sit with me, I'm just talking here. Do you know how many people are trying to discredit, come on in here, zoom in here. Come on in here. Do you know how many people are attempting to discredit revival because they say oh, that can't be real? Why not, Sister Pharisee? Why can't it be? Why can't it not be real, Mr. Sad? You see, so sad. You see, why can't it not be real? Because so many sinners are showing up. If sinners ain't showing up, it ain't revival. If all it is is a bunch of holy church people who don't need a physician, it ain't revival. Revival is not for the well. Revival is for the screwed up. Revival is for the people mixed up about their sexuality. They're about to get unmixed and straightened up. God, God is about to heal this generation.
if you are judging Asbury and Lee and every other revival as fraudulent because of the screwed up people who are showing up at the meeting, then what do you want us to think about you when them same kind of screwed up people come to your church on Sunday? When it's the pastor of the local church talking about it, we're working through. When it's a revival happening and it don't look like the box you thought it was gonna happen in, it ain't real. You are double-minded and unstable in all your ways. And somebody better humble themselves and stop losing. You better lose this fault-finding spirit, preacher, and you better get humbled and find some tears or you gonna miss the move of God. Why do you talk like that to the camera? Because you don't know who's listening. And I don't like the feeling of having to say things like that in my flesh, but I'm going to tell you, God is tired of his reputation being marred by religious dry hides who don't even know what revival is. And they stand up and all of a sudden have become a PhD in something they've never encountered before. If you've had revival, talk to me about it. But if you're still walking around and there's brokenness and messed up craziness in your church and nobody's ever had a breakthrough and nobody's ever been healed and all you're doing is talking and giving a diatribe, you won't know what revival is. I'm watching sons and daughters take notes. I told them this morning at our Cleveland campus, there's a whole, whole pile of Lee University kids. I want you to know, you stay hungry for God. I don't care what anybody says about it. You stay hungry. You keep on singing. And if they don't want you to sing, we'll find a place to sing together. church missed it in the 70s let me educate some folk in this room in the 70s the Jesus movement started and the hippies long haired hippies living in the back of a VW Beetle they started coming to church with their long stringy hair fresh out of the mud of Woodstock into the church on Sunday and they come into the church and sister yay yay and brother flip flop said mm. they need to get some new clothes on well why don't you just catch them and then let god clean them and you stop acting like you are anointed to fix everybody I'm getting ready to preach in here and it's 1235 and I'm preaching and I'm thinning this thing out but whoever's left is getting ready to see favor hit their house and I'm telling you blessing is getting ready to hit your place. Well, they are not holy. Well, I heard someone say this week, they don't even look saved. Well, we don't think you look saved. And then they said things like this. Well, we're gonna see, we're gonna wait and see how it turns out and see if it sticks. And we're still trying to figure out if it's gonna stick for you. I'm just mad, I'm fed up with it. We pray for something for 30 years and we got people all over the country who are trying to disdain and disregard and talk people out of it. There is a green light. Heaven is saying go. Heaven is saying yes. Heaven is saying now. Heaven is saying yes. Heaven is saying go. Heaven is saying now. Heaven is saying yes. I'll wrap up here. I do believe there ought to be fruit that is in keeping with repentance. I, I, I am not here today to tell you that revival ignores sin. If it's true, revival people that get so free from it, they don't want to go back to the pig slot God brought them out of. But I've seen more people saying I'm cautiously optimistic. No, you're not, you're skeptical. Well, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm not. And then the other thing I want to tell you is this. There's this misquoting going on in scripture right now. Let me break this down too since I'm in a teaching mode. And if I'm going to offend everybody, to offend everybody, right? The Bible said test the spirits to see if they be of God. There's one place it says that. It's in 1 John and it is followed up by this scripture. No man who says Jesus is Christ and is God speaks by another spirit. 
In other words, trying the spirit, you try the spirit to, and the way you try a spirit is to see how they honor and who they honor. If they're honoring Jesus, then it's a true spirit. If they're not honoring Jesus, it's a demonic false spirit. So all these people who are saying, test the spirits. This spirit is not from God. You are not even quoting correctly. You are not the acid test for revival with your examination. You are not the plumb line, the ruler. You are not the yardstick. The word is, and the word says that any spirit that speaks that Christ is God is the Holy Spirit talking. So my question is not, do they honor your favorite song out of your favorite songbook? That ain't how we tell if it's true revival. My, my, the question is not, is their skirt long enough and is their face look holy enough and do they got on ear bobs that is not the test y'all better say something in here the test is not do they have lights or do they not have lights do they have a smoke machine or do they not have a smoke machine the question is do they honor Jesus do they love the Lord if they love Jesus and name the name of the Lord then get your mouth and your hands off of it every Sunday in this altar People manifest in ways I've never seen before. Shaking in the floor, falling out. Devils getting cast out of people. Rolling in the floor. That ain't God. God would never make someone do that. God made a prophet lay on his side naked for a whole year. Watch your mouth. Read the Bible. God made a man build a boat before anybody ever saw rain. You won't figure him out and you won't control him. The dove will fly away. And in this house, I want to make this statement before we end this. I value the dove more than I value any other thing in this building. What's the dove? The dove is the Holy Spirit. I want him to rest on this house. I, I have seen and experienced 90 days when the ark just seemed to park here. I watched blind people get healed. I watched preachers come back to life. I watched a marriage get restored and we renewed vows in the city diner cafe 1 a.m. in the morning. Had just left church shaking under the power of God. Have I told you all this story? I'm going to tell it again. <laughs> when the glory gets in your house, it'll go with you. We left this building at 1230 one night. We were starving, hungry. We hadn't eaten in a couple days. We went to City Cafe. 1 a.m. in the morning, me and Damon and two other brothers, I believe J.R. Fitch was one of them. There was another one there. I don't remember who I was with us. We're sitting there and we're all just rocking. Like a bunch of <laughs> rabbis. <laughs> but we're not rabbis. And we were rocking the power of God. Damon was shaking under the power of God and a woman is sitting off to our left in a booth by herself with a Miller Lite hat. I knew we were in business when I saw it was Miller Lite. She, had a, she was needing help bad. Miller Lite pulled down over her eyes and we're talking about what we just left in the presence of God, how God had moved and she's hearing us. And I look over and she starts wiping tears. And we just kept testifying and talking and she keeps wiping tears. And all of a sudden a dude walks in and he comes over and sits down beside her in the booth with her. And he looks at me and turns back around and looks at me and turns back around and I closed my eyes because it got weird and I was like, whoa. <laughs> 
and we're just still rocking. And he turns around and he goes, Pastor Kevin, is that you? I said, yeah, it's me. Very strange here. He said, this is my wife, and he called her name, and he said, we met tonight because she's living in an affair, and I'm living in one. And we came tonight to talk about divorce and arrange a child visitation policy. But I believe this is a divine interruption. And we want to know if you would pray for us. I said, pray for you. Not only will I pray for you, we're going to renew our vows right here in the city cafe. I watched Damon Thompson take a ring off his finger that a person had given him, and it was a lot of money. And he gave it to that young lady. And he said, put this ring on his finger. And I immediately became the justice of the peace over pancakes and pigs in a blanket. True story before God. We stood up. J.R. Fitch was the witness. We had justice of the peace, the prophet. Everything was in the room. I stood up and said, put your hands together. Put that ring on his finger. She put it on his finger and I grabbed their hands and I said, devil, let go now. You will not destroy this marriage. I want to tell you what happened. God bailed that family out and they're still married to this day and the spirit of the Lord worked a miracle. And what I'm trying to tell you is when the presence of God gets in a place, favor will get on that thing and it will not just be what happens in here on Sunday. It's what will happen when you carry it out the door with you. Can I tell I'm a preach before I go take my seat but the Bible says that after 90 days David and all of Israel came to Obadiah's house they knocked on the door we came to get the presents we've seen what kind of blessing is on your house Obadiah, and we're taking it back to Israel and Obadiah said you've taken the presents that's fine boys pack everything up what do you mean pack it up daddy where are we going I don't know where we're going we're going wherever King David takes this ark because we've lived with it for 90 days and I've loved every minute of it and I'm not going to live one more day without it and the Bible said in the first book of first chronicles chapter 15 that Obadiah and every one of his sons left and moved to the temple and became doorkeepers in the house of the Lord and they said wherever it goes that's where we're going stand stand with me Jesus is the presence Jesus is the centerpiece of every revival it's not about the manifestations. They'll happen. It's not about the people that will come. They'll come. It's about one person. Jesus Christ. The same yesterday, today, and forever. And I heard the Lord whisper to me this week, and he said to me, your yes to me is never just about you. He said to me, Kevin, when you say yes, everything connected to you is going to find the blessing of God. There's some people in this room that may, they need God to get in their house. My children are so away from God, Pastor. My marriage is so jacked up. My family is so far. Listen, I'm telling you, there's a cure. It's his presence. And when he gets in the house, everything connected to you. The Bible said all that Obadiah had got blessed. Revival's coming. You better hear what I'm telling you. Revival's coming. It's here. And it's not a revival of judgment. I know that disappoints some of you hardcore folk. Oh, shoot. I was hoping God would kill everybody. It's almost like what I feel in the church from some of these Pharisees. It ain't real. They ain't dying yet. Listen to me. God can, God can remove whoever he wants to remove. Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world. He came so that the world through him might be saved. 
And I heard the Lord whisper to me this week, I'm looking for a house through whom I can show my goodness and fix my reputation. God's going to fix his reputation. And he's not the one that screwed it up. Religious people who represent him are. Who's hungry for him? Just lift your hands. I want to pray for you right now. We've already prayed so much today. Lord, let your presence get in every house connected to this house. Let this be the season. Yeah. 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 I don't want to miss it. We don't want to miss it. Ask him to come to your house today. Just let him in your heart. That's the first place to start. And then, Lord, we want you to get in the, like you got in the house of Obadiah, get in the Wallace house. Get, get in our family. Get in our church family. I'm not asking him to get in a building. I'm asking him to get in a people. He doesn't dwell in buildings made with clay. He dwells in temples that were not made with hands. That's you and me. Come on, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. I want you to lift your hands. This is not coming to a room. This is coming to hearts. It'll get in the room if it gets in the heart. Some of you want something from the room that you don't have in your own heart. God would never visit a room and leave you empty. God would never visit this room and leave you empty. If he's in the room, it's because he's wanting into your heart. And if you want him in your heart, just throw your hands up for about 60 seconds right here and say, Lord, I'm making room for you. I'm making room for you. I'm making room for you. This week, 2,000 kids are making room for you. I'm asking you to fill every space we create. I'm asking you to fill every spot that we create for you. Holy Spirit, in the mighty name of Jesus, we're praying right now. We're asking you right now. We see the green light. It's happening all over the nation from north to south to east to west. We see the green light, God. We see the green light. I look back and see the enemy's hand trying to stop the church. I see COVID and regulations and stipulations and red tape and everything that tried to stop the church. But I want to praise you this morning, God, that you ignored the attempt of the enemy to silence the voice of the people of God. And in this season, you are paying, you are paying us back. You are giving us recompense. Somebody lost some stuff, but this is a season of restoration. We declare that this house, oh God, somebody catch this with your pastor right now. We declare that this house will be a place you can demonstrate your goodness and set the record straight. You are a good God. You are a good God. You are a good God. I bless the people. Take your neighbor's hand right now. I'm going to bless you before I let you go. I bless the people of God tonight. Today, I thank your Holy Spirit that you are releasing manifested blessing. I declare that this week, even the week of preparation for wild ones, the Holy Spirit is all in the arrangements. Lord, there are people coming that didn't think they were going to get to come. There are leaders from the nation that are coming here. Lord, there's a descending going on in this room this week. I'm praying right now that you just pour your spirit out. Let this house be a green light. Let it be a green light. Let preachers and leaders and people, let them begin, let families begin to get hungry again. Let preachers who gave up on preaching start preaching again. Let the fire of revival begin to put on a Let it begin to sweep the nation in the name of the Lord. I pray in the name of Jesus, dead churches would come back to life. Dead regions would come back to life. I pray right now that sex trafficking rings begin to close down. Holy Spirit, send revival, send awakening, send it like you sent it to the house of Obadiah. We open the door and say, come on in, come on in, come on in, Holy Spirit. Let Jesus be glorified in our midst. We pray it now. We pray it now. We pray it now. Somebody lift your hands and begin to praise him all over this room. Oh, let your glory come. Let your glory come. Let your glory fill everything. Oh, God, sweep the house. Sweep every room. Get rid of the other in me and let the glory of the Lord fill my life. In the mighty, mighty name of Jesus. Friend, I believe God is a miracle-working God, and the greatest miracle that God could ever work in your life is the gift of salvation. 
And I believe today somebody is watching me who says, Pastor Kevin, would you pray for me? I want to give my life to God. I want to serve the Lord. I want Jesus to save me. Let's pray this prayer together today. Mean it in your heart. Say, dear God, I repent of my sins. I turn to you today, Lord Jesus, believing that you're the Son of God and that you died for my sins. Forgive me, Lord Jesus. Come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Listen, friend, if you prayed that prayer, I want you to go to kevinwallace.tv, and I just want you to drop us a prayer request and let us know that you gave your heart to Christ. Our team want to pray for you. We want to make sure that you're in a good, loving, Bible-believing church wherever you're from and that you continue to grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. The best days of your life are still ahead of you, and we're praying for you today. God bless. I look forward to seeing you next week right here.